Sometimes the most memorable stories we carry with us from military service were just the product of the branch of service we were in or the deployment we were on and the crazy stuff that happens when people with a mission and a common cause live in close quarters. And sometimes after our time in the service, we're lucky enough to find careers not too dissimilar to that with missions and with common cause for us to rally around. When we're lucky like that, we can continue to share stories of our shared history and experience and support one another through a bond that goes beyond the workplace. Jones Lang LaSalle and JLL's VetNet Business Resource Group brings you the MidWatch podcast in an effort to tell those stories and share that experience and build connections across generations of veterans at JLL and our broader community. And now the host, of the Midwatch Podcast, Dan Ediger. Hey everybody, this is Dan Ediger. This is episode two of the Midwatch Podcast. We have a rare treat today. Uh, another JLL military veteran coming to you live straight out of Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina. Excited to speak today with, with someone I've known for maybe about a year or so now. Really interested in hearing kind of the backstory and how he landed at JLL, how he's doing now, and uh, and his experience both both in the military and out. Ben Bailey, uh, welcome to the show. Hey Dan, appreciate that, and appreciate everything you're doing on the VetNet front in this program. I think it's an awesome opportunity to allow veterans to tell their stories. Yeah, I, I sure do appreciate it, and thanks for thanks for taking the time um, to kind of get us started. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your family, uh, where you live, hobbies, your current job. And we'll come back to the uh, to the job towards the end of the podcast, but just basically where you're at right now and anything else we might find interesting. Go ahead. Sure, sure. So as you said, I'm in Raleigh, North Carolina. I landed back here about two and a half years ago after kind of traveling all over the country with JLL, first to San Francisco, then Minneapolis, Minnesota. I've uh, been around with JLL for about uh, 10 years, over 10 years now, and it's been a heck of a run. And uh, a lot of similarities from the time that I was in service to now, which I guess we'll get to in a little while. But, uh, you know, in terms of family, I've got an 11-year-old son. So that's, that, that keeps me pretty busy. Um, outside of work, I've been, um, you know, I try to make time. Definitely my biggest hobby is probably fitness, probably like a lot of veterans, you know, trying to do a good job of take care of myself. And it's also a great way to relieve some stress, uh, which I'm sure folks on the line know a little bit about. And then um, try and make a little bit of time for reading, travel. And uh, over the past year, I've been involved in a um, program here in Raleigh through the Chamber of Commerce around leadership. And uh, really, it's to introduce up-and-coming business leaders to um, different community organizations so that they can try to have an impact uh, in the community as well as within the uh, commercial realm. So that's actually been a lot of fun and really opened my eyes to a lot as well. That's pretty cool. What's the uh, what's the organization again? It's through the Chamber of Commerce. What's it called? Right. So it's called Leadership. In, in, in this area, it's called Raleigh, Leadership Raleigh. Oh. But you can find them pretty much anywhere that there's a Chamber of Commerce around the country. And it's a 12-month program. And basically, each month we meet and we cover a different topic about what's going on in the community. And then as a capstone project, you're partnered with about five other people or so. And you put on some type of either fundraising or some type of some type of effort to benefit a nonprofit or community organization within your area. 
Well, that, sounds, that sounds really interesting. How did you hear about that? How did you, how did uh, you initially get exposed to that and get involved? Yeah, yeah, it's a little bit of a, a little bit of a hidden gem. I guess if you're very involved in the Chamber of Commerce, you probably hear about it. But I actually had a mentor that I met through JLL. He's actually the guy who got me responsible for joining, or actually kind of recruited me into JLL. And he had gone through the program out of Charlotte, North Carolina, and mentioned it to me as a good development opportunity and a way to round out my experience as a as a leader. And uh, it just sounded like it was something that was right up my alley. And it's proven to be that. So I definitely, and, and, I, and I also think that there's a very cool overlap with veterans in the community and veterans getting involved in this. Because yeah, as you know, know, we do have an inclination towards service. Uh, we do like to contribute. And we're used to not having a lot of free time. So <laughs> <laughs> um, for all of those reasons, I think that, it, it, you know, and, and I think we also offer a really unique perspective when we come into those types of conversations. And I don't think you ever really realize just how rare it is these days to have been in service and done some of the things that we've done until you're out talking to other leaders and you realize that they kind of haven't had some of those experiences. So I think there's a lot for veterans to offer on that front. Yeah, absolutely. Like you'll be in some conversation and a story will come to your mind that kind of relates to what you're talking about. And it'll start out with one time I was in uh, Gibraltar and blah, blah, blah. And you're like, oh, wait a minute. We, we haven't all been to Gibraltar. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> so, Let me bring it back. And, and that's why that's why I think this podcast is such an awesome idea, too, because I think there's a therapeutic element to telling your story. And the reality is, unless you're hanging out in the VFW or, yeah. you know, one of those types of organizations, you know, you have this story to communicate, but it doesn't really translate very well to your typical friend group, right? Everyone that was kind of at home while you were doing the things that you were doing. And so I think having this opportunity, it gives us a chance to put our experiences in context and to share them with other people who have similar experiences. Yeah, agreed. I'll, I'll be interested to see uh, as we, you know, kind of build up the catalog of stories uh, that we have here, where where other people start to plug in. Because my the goal here is that this gets distributed across JLL social media and all that kind of stuff. So you're going to have these other jail employees start to listen about this crazy stuff, and I'm sure they'll be reaching out. and And that's the point is the connection and all that. So it'll be interesting to see how that grows. And I appreciate uh, kind of where you're coming from there. And you said, uh, so personal fitness is one of your passions, right? Yes, definitely. Uh, Max personal bench press, go. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you would you would pull that out. Uh, already with the tough questions. So I will say that, um, I, so just, you know, 100% candor here. I was never a bench presser. You know, there are were bench pressers. Let, let, let me get to this. Let, let me get to this, right? You called me out, so I gotta I gotta say this. So uh so but um you know, many, many years ago when I was in college, I don't lift heavy anymore, but I I did lift my on the bench press, my max was probably around three hundred and fifteen pounds. There you go. Um however, yeah. however, uh -huh. comma, uh, on the squat, okay, which was much more my lift. Yeah. Uh, and, and I would argue is a real lifter's lift. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I uh, I put up 485 pounds eight times. Good Lord. Equivalent of one repetition max of 572 pounds. 
Yeah. That, that record stood. That record stood at my college for for a couple of years while I was there. So my name's <laughs> probably not on the wall anymore, but I'm very proud of that. I, every opportunity I get, I tell people. That's like several <laughs> human beings that you're squatting there. <laughs> right. And, and my back cave, and I'm paying for it today. Yeah. Uh, I I'm limited to what I could do uh, in terms of my golf game, but yep. uh, but it is worth it. Awesome. Well, so one last thing now before we get into your military career. Besides your uh, your your what was a record for some period of time squat, tell us something <laughs> and sell it. Tell us something interesting about yourself that we wouldn't guess. Ready to go? Okay. Um, so uh, something interesting and maybe a little bit goofy. Uh, so like a lot of men of, of my age group, I grew up on you know Marvel comics and sci-fi and a, just a little taste of fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple a couple of years ago, I uh, brought all that uh, to a head with my first foray into adult costume uh, at, a, at a Halloween party. <laughs> yes, where I, uh, I I dressed as I made an attempt at um, a homemade Thanos costume, uh, complete with uh, purple makeup and a homemade uh, bedazzled gauntlet, uh, and so. Uh, my son got a kick out of it. I don't know. I, I convinced, I guess, a couple of people. I didn't win the car. I didn't win the costume contest, but yeah. uh, I had a good time. So, so hopefully, uh, there'll be more opportunities for me to dress up like various comic book and sci-fi characters in the future. Is there any photographic evidence of this that you could share? <laughs> there is, but you will never see it. <laughs> <laughs> you won't make it your profile picture for JLL. <laughs> <laughs> right. 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 We're gonna keep that under wraps. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. The audience, I certainly appreciate you sharing. As we get into your military career, tell us just a couple minutes before you get into kind of the story, the meat and potatoes story that I want to hear. Tell us about how you got into the military, your uh, your career in there. I think you spent five years in the Navy as a, as a CB, right? That's right. That's so, right. So tell, tell, tell us about uh, how you got in, uh, maybe what drove you to that, what what led you to joining the Navy. And a little bit about your career while you're in, then we'll kick off these couple of stories that mean the most about your service. Sure, sure. So I really, I thought about this a little bit and I have to, I, from a fairly young age, I had it in my head that I that I wanted to join the Navy. And I, the only place I can really trace that to is maybe some conversations that I had with my grandfather on my mother's side when I was maybe, you know, eight, 10 years old, kind of very, very formative years. And uh, I had it in my head that uh, at the time I've been reading a lot about and watching a lot of movies about like pirates and, you know, um, Mm -hmm. Treasure Island and all of that stuff. And it was kind of one of my favorite play topics, if you will. And I think somewhere along there, my grandfather mentioned to me that if I went to a service academy or if I went to the Naval Academy, I'd have the opportunity to wear a sword. And uh, and I thought that was the coolest thing that (laughs) (laughs) the coolest thing that I could ever do. And uh, and so that idea kind of was was uh, planted in my head at a fairly early age. And of course, you know, as I got older, the, the sword aspect of it became less and less important. Um, uh, kind of goes, so goes back to goes back to the comic books, right? <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I guess I was a pretty imaginative kid. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> fast forward to um, you know junior year in high school, somewhere in there, um, you know, there was an opportunity for me to of course, applied to a service academy. And I had some connections where I think I probably could have made a good a good uh, go of it. 
And I got it in my head that I wanted the quote unquote college experience, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you hear guys come back from, from college and high school and they're telling you about, you know, what college is like and all that stuff. And so I got it in my head that that's, that's what I wanted to do. And so I ended up going to Catholic University of America, a small school in Washington, D.C. Um, I tried to study and I was studying engineering there, civil engineering. And a couple years in, uh, maybe recruiter was hanging around. You know, can never trust those guys. Um, and uh, he kind of gets in my ear and he says, hey, look, there's this program. It's a really good program. It's an opportunity for you to make money while you're in school. You get paid money. You don't have to shave. You don't even have to do a, a physical fitness assessment. You just all wear a uniform. <clears throat> all you have to do is uh, collect a paycheck and sign a sheet of paper. And then you commit to five years on the other side and or four years rather. And so um, I was intrigued by that. And I, you know, I was certainly, as most college students, in need of money. Uh, at first, it was a nuclear program. And so I kind of looked into that and kind of decided, oh, I don't know. And he, and he actually kind of advised me away from that. He said, you know, well, you're going to, you know, are you really want to spend six months un- underwater and not seeing the sun? I know some people, that's the thing for some people, Dan. But, uh, <laughs> but I had to, you know, and he kind of put this other idea on the table around the civil engineer corps. And so I looked into that and lo and behold, signed up for that. And, um, you know, after I graduated, went through officer candidate school and received my commission. Question then, uh, well, first off, are you from the D.C. area originally? I'm originally from Charlotte, North Carolina. And oh, I moved to the Washington D.C. area when I was uh, when I was probably in middle school, and uh, and basically went through high school and okay. college in that area. Got it. Where so you uh, so you get through your commissioning program? Did you have to go to OCS to get your commission, or I think so, right? With that I program? did. I did Pensacola, Florida. Um, oh, I'm talking about some <laughs> some of the hottest some of the hottest months of the year in the Suya. The same yeah. day. <laughs> what what uh, what year was that when you were in Pensacola? Yeah, so that was uh, 2002 that I was there. Interesting. So I went in 90, I think it was 96. So a little bit a uh, little bit before you there, but uh, wasn't it horrible? Yeah. Like the worst. <laughs> the, you uh, said it was the worst. It was the yeah, worst. <laughs> yeah, it was possibly the worst. You know, I, it, what's crazy is I still have dreams where. <laughs> I like voluntarily elect to go back through officer candidate school just to kind of experience it again. <laughs> have you have, have you talked to your uh, your drill instructor? Since uh, I lost track of yeah, I lost track of him and I kind of regret that. But uh, you know, I uh, as as most folks do, he, he I think about him often and he'll kind of yeah. always be he'll kind of always live as a character on my shoulder yelling at me. <laughs> yep. Do you know there's a uh, there's a guy who appears on some uh, uh, various news channels, a guy named Jonathan Gilliam. Does that name ring a bell? Okay, the name does, but I can't place where I would know him from. Yeah, so he's a, he's a, he was a former SEAL and he did some FBI time and whatever. So uh, uh, somehow we got uh, connected and I was sending him a note. It ends up his drill instructor was at OCS the same time I was. I think we were about like five or six months apart or something. So I had him connect me to his drill instructor, who he stays in contact with, and that guy connected me to my drill instructor. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> and so I call up Gunny D up. Yeah. And we just like shot the breeze for half an hour. It's pretty awesome. I bet that was interesting. I mean, yeah. I you know taking taking out of that very surreal environment of Arthur Kansas yep. School 
and being able to have a human conversation with a guy like that, <laughs> I think that would be just one of the most interesting things you can do. Yep. Well, uh, well, very cool. So where, uh, what about deployments and those kind of things? What did you do? You did about five years uh, total, as I understand it. So what, uh, what kind of deployments right. did you do? So uh, it was an action-packed five years. When I joined, really, there, was, there were kind of two objectives that I, that I wanted, aside from being able to wear a sword. Um, uh, and the one was leadership experience, right? I wanted to, I felt like the Navy or the military in general would give me, it would kind of be a leadership accelerator and put me in position to, um, to, to lead people and get that experience at an early age, which it definitely did. And then the other thing was travel. I, I kind of been bitten by the travel bug and I really wanted to see the world. I wanted to live and experience different places and different people. And it did that too. So um, I ended up uh, my first tour, which was absolutely a dream tour. I'm sure, you know, that some of my peers are still hate me for this, but I, I landed in uh, Naval Air Station Figanella in on the island of Sicily in Italy, right, on the east coast of Sicily. And there I was the uh, assistant, re- I was an assistant resident officer in charge of construction. So basically an owner's rep representing the Navy for their military construction projects. That was just, I was 20, you know, 24, 25 years old, didn't have a family at the time, was making good money. And uh, every three-day weekend, I was taking a flight to someplace exotic around Europe. And so that was a fantastic tour, and I really learned and lived uh, a great quality of life there. Then came back to um, Gulfport, Mississippi, and was with a construction battalion, also known as the CBs. I was with um, NMCB-1, and uh, within a couple weeks, I had deployed, I had gone on my first deployment out of Gulfport, Mississippi to Iraq, spent about seven months in um, Fallujah, and, uh, what was called Multinational Force West, kind of all points west of Baghdad um, in Iraq, and uh, came back from that uh, for a few months, and then ended up redeploying to Iraq uh, this time. Uh, doing something a little bit different than engineering and traditional CV work, but uh, interesting all the same. In in uh, the Kurdish part of Iraq, place called near a place called Asalamania, and then on the Kuwaiti border of Iraq as well, um, at, a, at a place called uh, Camp Buka. Yeah, I've been to Camp Buka. It's a little bit warm there. Oh, you have. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what were you doing down there? The uh, I did six months in Kuwait as the uh, jo- uh, director of the Joint Visitors Bureau. So I brought VIPs in and out and we did uh, a couple of trips in there, one with the Secretary of Defense and some uh, some uh, USO types. Uh, so yep. flew in there, saw the uh, saw that trophy room where it's all the the weird weapons and stuff that the, uh, <laughs> the prisoners would build. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, and it was all the, the one of the things amongst many that stuck out to me is uh, we're walking around with the secretary of defense while he's kind of doing a meet and greet and it's all Navy guys. Right. <laughs> and, they're, and they're all miserable. And uh, they're all saying, I never thought that I would say I wouldn't be back on a ship, but I really, really, really want to be back <laughs> on a <the> ship. <laughs> yeah, this, this was their, this was their, uh, their land, uh, duty station right they get yep. to go and sit in this uh sit in southern kuwait um <laughs> and uh you know stare down these detainees for for yep. however many months so orange, ju- uh, orange jumpsuits for miles right 
that's right. That's right. No, that is, man, it is a small world. Uh, yeah. so I was down there for better part of six months or so. And I was actually a, um, I was actually a compound officer. So one of those compounds I had underneath my control Oh wow! and uh, underneath my, underneath my supervision, which is a whole nother story. <laughs> and uh, it was, it was definitely, and that's why I was saying it was something a little bit different than traditional, traditional uh, CV and engineering work. Yeah. But um, I, you know, I, again, I learned a lot there too. And, you know, you can take, you can take so much from places where you would never expect and uh you just kind of have to be open to it so um it was I, I wrap it all up in you know part of the experiences that put me in the place that i am today well excellent summary uh, i have one question then i want to get into uh, the one or two stories that really stick out to you about your service uh, so it's a two-part question actually maybe it's just one part now i just changed it so the you said your first duty stage actually there's two part now i'm going back to a two-part the first okay. part is so you were in Siganella, right? That's right. <laughs> did you ever make did you ever make it over to Lamad, La Madalena? I did not. I did not make it to La Madalena. I had buddies who spent time in La Madalena, yeah. but I, I never landed there. Because that's that's where we had, of course, the submarine tender forever, right? And that's where we right. do mid deployment upkeep. And is there is there anything like the Mediterranean in the summer? There's nothing like it, right? There's no there's I'm convinced there's no better place in the world. It's um, unbelievable. It is it is it is pretty special in the summertime on the beaches in Sicily and uh just living that living that you know Dolce Vita right yeah, yeah. Just, um you know eating well getting sun swimming yeah. um there's not much bad you can say about it and so here's the second part uh Gulfport Mississippi just as good right just as good as- <laughs> <laughs> right. That's right. equally as exotic at all, right? Uh, you're talking, uh, you know, riverboat casinos, <laughs> clear water. Oh, wait a minute, not clear water. <laughs> right, right. Uh, you know, uh, algae blooms. <laughs> yeah. So, so let's and, get to- and your uh, Walmart is the local, uh, you know, is local for entertainment. As much culture as you're gonna get, right? Exactly. <laughs> So let's get to it. I mean, the, the Midwatch podcast, besides just hearing about uh, our backgrounds and uh, where we're at now, at JLL, is I really wanted to talk about things from your service that stick with you now that, you know, years from now when you have grandkids or when, when you're, you said you have an 11-year-old son, is that right? Yeah, that's right. When, when, you're, when your boy's older, uh, the things that you will say that meant something to you. Uh, so I'd like to hear if you have a, a story or two about some experiences, some specific things that happened to you that you know will stick with you, you know, kind of for for the rest of your life. Sure. So I definitely have a story that always sticks in my mind. And um, there, there's so many, right? There's so many stories. But this one in particular, it always, it, it, I'll kind of always come back to it. And I think it characterizes so much about my time in the military. And so much about feeling like, I think in the military and in other places in life, you assume that you have these boundaries, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you assume that you've got this limit, like you can do this and you can't really do much more. But then you find yourself in a situation where you don't really have a choice and you have to, you kind of have to double down, redouble your efforts and get to that next level to do more. 
And and I think this is I think this is kind of one of those stories. So on that when I was returning from that first deployment, you know, we were I was with the battalion. We were um, a detachment of the of the battalion, and we were probably about 250 to 300 CBs. Mm-hmm. And we were all coming back to the United States after about six and a half, seven months or so. And when you're redeploying, I'm sure you saw this and probably experienced this as you if you were stationed quite a while. You had warrior transition training, which is yeah. essentially you know, the last couple of weeks of the deployment, rather than just hopping on a, a, a plane and landing in Norfolk, Virginia, or some other place like that, and people kind of shaking you on, shaking your hand and patting you on the back and saying good luck, you actually have an opportunity to decompress with the people that you deployed with. And part of it's telling your story. Um, part of it's talking to a chaplain about some of the things you've seen and done. Uh, and but a big part of it is just kind of hanging out in the morale, welfare, recreation tent. Um, listening to music, playing ping pong and video games and just kind of yucking it up. And so <clears throat> we were at the end of that deployment. It was August of 2005 and we were excited. We were, we were all coming home. We hadn't lost anybody. It was in general a good, very productive deployment and um, everyone was feeling pretty positive about the fact that we were going to be home in a couple of weeks. And it was getting towards the end of the month, and there was a, there was a storm that was forming in the Gulf in in the uh, in the Gulf region. And at first, you know, I didn't think too much of it. And I don't think many of us did. Some people actually had houses that were near the coast of of Gulfport. Actually, when I deployed, I hadn't been in the United States that long, and I basically, when I came back from Italy, I had a, essentially, you know, a sea bag and a suitcase worth of things that I was carrying yeah. with me on the plane. And mm-hmm. the rest was in transit, and I wasn't going to get that until after the deployment. So I basically put this sea bag and this uh, and this suitcase in in a buddy's house, who was maybe four or five houses off the coast, um, and then went on the deployment. So we're, getting back to the story, so we're coming on our way back, and lo and behold, this, this storm, it's the main storm, is called Katrina, and uh, and we're kind of monitoring it throughout the week, and it seems like it's building in momentum, and it kind of brushes by Florida. We don't think much of it. So at any rate, we're flying back and we're stopping over in Ireland um, to kind of get off the plane, uh, get in, go into the um, bar of the airport because Kuwait and Iraq are dry. You can't have any beer. So it was going to kind of be our first celebratory beer after this deployment. So we get off the plane. We While the plane is refueling, we, we go into the bar and the place is totally cleared out. It's maybe 1 a.m. in the morning there. And lo and behold, we're watching the TV screens, and the Gulf Coast is just being destroyed. It's August 28th, right? We're in the air, headed back to Gulfport, and lo and behold, Katrina's passing. The eye of Katrina is basically passing right over our, our <laughs> you know, right wow. over the place we're returning to. Yeah. Um, so we fly back over, and um, we end up getting diverted into Atlanta. And so we end up staying a night in a hotel in Atlanta, and everything is very... Um, uncertain about whether or not we'll be able to actually return to Gulfport and when. Mm-hmm. So I decided to drop some leave papers and just drive up to Charlotte to visit with my father, I take the bus up to Charlotte to visit my father. So I spent a couple of days up there and saw, kind of observed how the situation got progressively worse following the storm, following uh, Hurricane Katrina in, in the area that I was returning to. 
I, I bought a car and drove down a couple of days later and drove onto the base. And really, you know, the whole area was in very poor condition, right? Yeah. Many houses were destroyed, no infrastructure in place, a curfew was in effect. Um, many people didn't have water or electricity. I drove onto the base, and the same guys I just come off this deployment with, they're sitting around in a GP medium tent, and they've got their full command center set up. Right? Wow. So yeah. we actually went from that deployment and kind of catapulted into what was essentially an even more chaotic and less organized deployment where we were just trying to find a way to do some good. And, you know, if you know, after coming off deployment, those last couple of weeks, you're really looking forward to some time off. You're really looking forward to being able to spend time with the people you care about and just decompressing and relaxing. And it wasn't meant to be for us in that moment. Mm-hmm. And um, and that was tough, right? Being able to look past that um, to to be able to now pivot and turn to what what do we need to do for these people who are in this circumstance? How can we potentially help them? So for the next 60 to 90 days or so, I spent um, a lot of my time doing disaster recovery stuff with a group of maybe about 40 or 50 CBs, anything from cutting down trees to trying to repair uh, the roof and siding of a school in southern Mississippi to preparing uh, a FEMA temporary housing park. All those things, you know, we were out there doing them. And then observing people when they're not at their best. You know, yeah, people yeah. were under a lot of stress and in uh, and, and realizing that it's not just I had to get out of my own head about how I was feeling about the fact that I couldn't do the things that I wanted to do and actually get some downtime and refocus on, okay, these people, they really need this help and this support. And so what can we do, even if it means to kind of ding down into an empty tank or, or running on fumes a little bit in order to, to try and get them what they need. Um, so that was, that experience was just a really formative experience about me, about pushing my boundaries and recommitting to, you know, serving the people that really needed, really needed it the most. Yeah. uh, One of the things that strikes me about that is uh, it'd be one thing if you're any other uh, rate or MOS or whatever, any other specialty in the military coming back into that because we're all driven to serve and would be in that mode. But to be a, a construction profession, and to come back mm-hmm. and see this devastation and be like, we're the, we actually have the skills to directly impact this. It just feels like that would almost redouble the the pressure and the intensity of, of your guys' engagement. Definitely, definitely. And then, you know, so we were definitely called upon to do whatever we could to help. And I think the challenge, the inherent challenge there, yes, we definitely had all the skills, the inherent challenges there were that our families were kind of going through the same yeah. situation in a lot of cases. I didn't have a family at the time, but when I got back, when I when I did drive down there, I was sleeping on my buddy's um, <laughs> my my buddy, a fellow officer. He had a he had a family. He had a bunch of kids, maybe three or four kids. You know, kind of a good old Midwestern boy from Kansas. Yep. His family, his wife and four kids, they fled the storm. And so me and maybe two or three other junior officers were crashing on this kid's floor, eating meals ready to eat, 
for the yeah. better part of, you know, 45 days because there was no other housing available. So whereas he had envisioned coming back and being able to spend time with his family and be able to kind of, you know, you go on deployment, there's a lot of things that you miss and there's a lot of things that need to be healed and mended um, just because you're not in the picture. And to not be able to do that, but to rather have to pivot and refocus on on everything else that's outside of your own situation, um, it definitely takes a lot. And, um, and and it calls on sacrifice for you and it calls on sacrifice right. for your family. And yeah. so um, it really, yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say, you you really said it in, in telling that story is you coming back from any deployment, let alone a six or seven month or over in the desert, your emotions are, you know, like through the roof, you know. Um, yeah. So coming back to that and that that pivot had to be really impactful. And that sounds like one of the things you're really saying is that was a big, big deal for people to deal with. It was. It was a big deal internally um, amongst our team, you know, trying to help our team to manage through that. And then also um, just showing up every day, you know, and yeah. showing up with the right face, putting the right face on. Um, but, you know, it was it was definitely, again, one of those situations where you realize that your boundaries really aren't your boundaries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, you can't you can't push beyond those. And you, sometimes you were surprising yourself. Yeah, I hear you from from day one in the military, we are, you know, kind of broken down and built back up with all around the purpose of, of service and dedication and this calling to a higher cause. And that's what, when times are really tough, that's what gets you through that. You know, it's almost like you wouldn't be able to resist the urge to shift and say, okay, this is now what I'm being called to do and it's time to go. Really impactful story. Was there another one you wanted to share? Cause that one was, uh, that one was pretty impactful. Was there anything else you wanted to share about things that really meant things to you from your service? Yeah, there was, you know, again, so many stories. I mean, we could be on the right. phone all day, right? Uh, so, uh, A world record podcast. Right, right. <laughs> Everyone else will have dropped off a long time ago. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's the one that really sticks out in my head. Um, I guess one other thing, one of the stories that, that, I'll, that I'll share just around you know, being a CB and in particular, you know, that particular designation and how we operate, uh, you know, as with most military units, there is just a ton of camaraderie. And most of the stories that I have were really less about what we were doing and more about who I was doing it with and what they were saying and the the jokes, the, inter the internal jokes that we had and, <laughs> and uh, all of those types of things. Yep. Uh, but one time, I will share this one time. So I was on that first deployment. I had a chance to take out a little detail of guys, maybe about 20 or so guys, to do to build up a an Iraqi security force camp in the Ramadi area, and um, was kind of excited to do that, and and uh, went out there to scout it out with the master chief. And uh, if you've been around some senior enlisted folks, you know that there there are some characters, some of the best characters that you ever want to be around. <laughs> Right. And uh, and they'll and they'll shoot you straight, right? I don't know that I found anyone in my civilian life that shoots you straight as a you know as an E nine in the military. Yep. Um, but at any rate, so we go out and we're looking around and uh, and we're kind of doing this assessment of what needs to be done, what construction activity needs to be done, what our defense um, uh, layout should be, uh, what our defensive posture should be, and all those types of things. And uh, we go to we're walking around the base. And uh, I, I had heard, but I didn't really have an appreciation for it up until that point. But part of the DNA of the CBs is 
you know, we're great at construction, um, but we're sometimes under under supplied, I guess, uh, in terms of resources that we have. So we gotta we gotta be creative, and and what what that translates into is we've got light fingers. We sometimes reallocate resources between other units and ourselves, right? Okay. Uh, which is another way of saying we steal it. <laughs> so so uh, uh, we're on this base and a forward operating base and the master chief looks around and says, you know, this is a supply yard. It's got, you know, 10 bunks of plywood and a bunch of two by fours and some other stuff. And it's all kind of laid out there. He's kind of observing, he's asking around, like, who does this belong to, this, any other? No one really has a great answer. And eventually find out that it belongs to some type of National Reserve unit. And he decides that it's being underutilized. So that night when we're convoying back, he tell, he calls up the convoy and says, you know, bring a couple flatbeds. And we know we up just about everything. <laughs> it's about every last piece of supplies that were out there uh and we and we took them with us and uh understanding that it was going to be for the greater good and we we're going to put it to good use and not of let course. it rot in the yard uh <laughs> but uh that's 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 part of our dna and uh something that i think we can be proud of as well yeah <laughs> that's awesome um ex- excellent stories ben uh well so the uh the pivot here is we get down winding down here in this podcast the pivot is so you're doing some really cool stuff for, for Jones Lang LaSalle. And what I'm really interested in hearing about is what you're, what you're passionate about now in your current role. And maybe tell us again what your current role is. But we, we all had this honor to, to serve the country in one capacity or another. And we had these awesome stories like you've told us. And I'm curious about the things that we bring forward from our service into what we do now. So can you tell us again, maybe refresh our, our refresh us on what, what you're doing right now, the kind of job that you have and what you do, and if you're bringing any lessons that you learned from the service into what you do? Of course, of course. So right now, I am a account director. I lead the Lenovo account. Um, it's a very global role. Uh, the role, we, I, I'm basically the primary point of accountability on behalf of JLL for all of the services that we provide to Lenovo. And that includes lease administration, transaction leasing, project management, occupancy planning, and facilities management. And again, we do that all around the world, which adds another degree of complexity into my daily activities. I, I, I really appreciate, as I, again, I've been around with JLL for about 10 years. And when I was coming out of the service, I. I was fortunate that I, you know, I had the GI Bill and I went back to uh, get an MBA for a couple of years. And as I was going through that process, you know, one of the things that I began to miss pretty, pretty quickly was a sense of mission and purpose and uh, and kind of those values that ground you when you're in the service, the broader mission, what you're trying to accomplish, what you're focused on. And I always remember kind of seeing people in the airport and, uh, you know, when I was in service and then a little bit after and, you kind of see them with their little corporate logo on their chest and everything. I, you always, I always felt like, you know, um, I, I understood why people wore that, but it didn't have the weight in, in bearing that I think the U.S. Navy SEAL did, yeah. uh, or the military yeah. SEAL did when I was in service. And uh, I'm really happy that now in my current role and with this company, I feel like it's it's not the same thing as to have a mission in the military. 
you know, nothing is. But I do feel like I have a sense of mission. I do feel like I have a strong sense of purpose. And I find that uh, there are various aspects of my daily work life that excite me and um, make me enthusiastic about coming in and contributing to JLL. So what excites me now um, and what I've kind of, I think, transitioned from my time in the military to my time at JLL, first and foremost, leadership and human connections. So I think it's still the case that people are looking for direction, clear direction, guidance. Uh, They're looking to be successful. They want our firm to do well. They want to do well individually. They want our individual account teams to do well. And uh, and so being a part of that, helping to establish and set the vision around that and, and make sure that it's implemented correctly, I think that's something that ties pretty closely to a lot of what I was doing in the military. Yeah, also, sure from, my, from my perspective, the service element, uh, even during my time in the military, a lot of what I was doing, I wasn't a quote-unquote war fighter where I was you know, firing the missiles or dropping the bombs or, you know, firing the M16s, what have you, I was in more of a support function where we were trying to somewhat like logistics and and, and others, uh, communications, et cetera, we are supporting the effort. And in the same way today with JLL, I am supporting the effort of our clients and making sure that they're equipped with the best information to inform their decisions um, and that they are um, operating in a way that ensures their continued success and our success, right? Mm-hmm. We stay yeah. together with our clients. And I think lastly, what I'll say that I really like about JLL, uh, and I don't think it's the case across much of corporate America. I think it's moving in that direction, but I feel like JLL really does, and, and from the entire time that I've been here, they really have emphasized ethics to a degree that I think is on par with you know, um, what I, what I had experienced in the military. And, uh, it's, it's an, it's an apparent in the leadership direction that we have from the top down. Uh, it's an, it's inherent in the, um, the diversity inclusion platform that's been built over the past many years. And I think it's very robust and kind of a commitment to, to uh, social corporate responsibility. This stuff has been going on for the entire time I've been at the firm. And I think whereas a lot of other companies, it's kind of more of a, a much newer thing. I'm mm-hmm. excited yeah. to have been with JLL through this journey and, and, and to see like some of the great work that you're doing, Dan, with VetNet and in uh, some of the other uh, business resource groups. It did kind of really strengthen, uh, strengthen our organization, strengthen our social responsibility uh, focus and um, make us a better company overall. I'm not sure I could have said it any better myself. That, that, that was, uh, it was a fantastic way to express that. And I share a lot of the same feelings you have. The only, the only tangent my head was taken while you were talking about that is even, and this goes for any place you work, not just Jones Lang LaSalle, but even if you're put into a, a role where you're not feeling in a natural leadership position, or you're not feeling like you're inspiring the people you work with, having military experience gives you kind of this uh, vocabulary and this tool uh, toolkit to inspire people to execute, right? And it's uh, 
and and to build a mission around something that if you're not creative wouldn't necessarily be a mission but maybe build a mission and say hey team guess what our mission is it's this thing and we can when we can go get that uh so that inspiration that that we live with in the service you can bring that to here and it's uh it's refreshing and it's uh you know something that can really bring it bring a team together but fantastic discussion i i uh, can't thank you enough for for being part of the the podcast here and part of the team yep. any any closing thoughts and where where can people connect with you if they want to reach out dan it's been my pleasure um so i'm on the global uh you can find me uh ben.bailey at am.jll.com um you know i think one of the great things about jll and one of the things that i've been able to take advantage of is the fact that people actually answer calls <laughs> right <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty special i mean yeah. we're you know when i joined we were about thirty thousand employees i think globally maybe 35 and now we're pushing a hundred thousand employees globally i think last numbers that i looked at it's remarkable but even still people will give you an audience you will get a call back and yeah. so uh and and I've, I've lived that and i've benefited from that and i'm definitely you know willing to pay that forward um so um yeah I, I can i can certainly be reached there more than willing to connect awesome well uh, again th thanks so much ben i uh, appreciate you spending yeah. some time yeah. with us sharing the stories the look forward to you being part of the the midwatch podcast team here be prepared to be inundated on linkedin uh as people yeah. reach out. <laughs> and uh and again that thank you so much ben and uh i'm sure we'll be talking again sometime soon thanks for all you're doing dan you have a great day Thanks, Digger. You've been listening to Jones Lang LaSalle's The Midwatch Podcast with Dan Ettinger. Look for us on the web and social media, and please share with friends and family. Thanks for your support. Like us wherever you listen to this podcast and stay tuned.